Hello and welcome to East Drop and Get the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're back in the cinema. Yes. At long last. So, you know, we've had a pandemic for a year. The cinema's briefly reopened in the summer when we saw some Christopher Nolan films. Yes. Up to Tenet. And then they closed again. Yeah, so we're back for the first time in about eight months, I think, yeah. Since since August, I guess. So, right. yeah. And the film we've decided to use to announce our triumphant return to the cinema... <laughs> <laughs> is the new Saw spin-off called Spiral. The yes. long title is Spiral from the Book of Saw. We've done one Saw film before, back yes. when we started the podcast, Jigsaw. Do you remember that at all? I do have a vague memory. Am I, did I like it more than I thought I would? Uh, I'm not sure that you did. I think you were more curious than anything, because cause I like the Saw films. I've seen them all, and yes. I wrote an article about them a while ago. And so you were kind of... You, you, ha- you had the, the sort of anthropologist's... Sort of, sort of interested going, so what is the appeal of these? Because um, I don't think you saw the appeal. H- had you seen a Saw film before, Jigsaw? I had. I, I, I remember going to Liverpool with a former student, and I think we must have seen Saw 5 or 4 or something like that. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. I don't remember very much about it, except they always make me feel dreadful. <laughs> right? Like, you know, I'm not one of those people who gets off you know, I'm being scared or I'm watching torture porn or, you know, actually I think, you know, some of my former students did probably think that I got off on it because I used to show them Irreversible, you know, because I thought Irreversible was fascinating for all kinds of formal reasons. The Gaspar Noé film. The Gaspar Noé film. But I really hate that kind of Mm. torture. I think it's a kind of torture porn of which I cannot find the appeal. I can't see the appeal of it myself, you know, watching, you know, people's skin being peeled off, peeled off or their fingernails ripped. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a big part of the appeal for me. <laughs> I think I said to you in that, in that podcast a few years ago, you know, part of the appeal is what are the new traps going to be? So the idea of the jigsaw killer throughout the series was that he would punish people for uh, kind of moral misdeeds and he do it often in some kind of ironic way. As the series went on, it got more and more loose, as all these series tend to do, like I think Halloween and Friday the 13th. They always start off with something reasonably strong as a core concept. And as the need for gore increases over the years, they just get looser and looser and looser with the kind of the, the, the core mythos, if you like. So, you know, th- these did that as well. This new film is a spin-off. So Jigsaw is kind of long gone, right? The Jigsaw killer is... He passed away a few. He passed away at about Saw Four, but they kept on kind of finding reasons to have him. By this point, he's kind of long gone. The reason this film has been made is because Chris Rock was kind of looking to get into horror, and he had a chance meeting apparently with the vice chairman of Lionsgate, which is the company behind mm. the Saw films, and gave him this pitch for you know what what he wanted it to be. The reason that this was interesting to me was partly because it's a new Saw film, partly because. I didn't know they were making a new Saw film until about five days ago when my brother told me. It completely... I don't know why I hadn't seen any advertising or anything like that. completely passed me by. Um, part of the reason we saw it was because all of the really good films we'd already seen. seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing is that it's got this cast, right? So the biggest people who've been in the Saw films before were probably... Well, definitely Danny Glover, mm. uh, who was the cop in the first film. Uh, and Carrie Elways was one of the guys who was 
stuck in that room in the first film and he came back once or twice that's stretching big names a bit i said big it's. i said big it's right, right. Like, it's a thing like uh, it's not a, it's 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 a cheap series yeah. with with very few names it's cheap in every way and this film has chris rock as the protagonist samuel jackson plays his dad max mingella is his partner these are the biggest names by far the series has had max mingella stretching it too but certainly yeah. chris rock and samuel I love, jackson i love chris rock but all i can say is he made a big mistake agreeing to do this. I think... Well, but apparently it was not so much agreeing as his his idea. Well, it was a big mistake uh, because it's very, very poorly done. He's very, very poorly filmed. All his great jokes, because, you know, he's. I think he's one of the funniest men in America. I mean, I, I love watching him. Mm. But the film cuts up all the rhythms of a speech. So actually... It's kind of funny, but you also feel it's not as funny as it normally is, or it normally would be, mm. right? Like, there, there's something off about, you know, even even the humour in this film, and I hate, hate, hate the way it's filmed. There's one minor sort of speech he has, which is full of jokes, which is early on, where he's introducing Max Minghella, who's his new understudy, to the world of police. And it's when they go down the subway steps, and he's talking about how his wife's going to cheat on him and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's a funny little speech, yeah. but it's all done in one take, right? That's why that bit works, because mm. like, you've got about a minute of just just Chris Rock talking, mm. and he gets to deliver it how he wants. But you're right, like it's it's kind of a bit janky when it's when it's cut up. I think it's really it has everything I hate in contemporary cinema. It has you know it begins with my least favorite shot, that stupid steady cam wobbling all over, filming people's backs, right? Like, hmm. and it goes on for you know. It feels like minutes, right, at the beginning, the police going all down the set. And all you see is people's fucking backs. I mean, it drives me crazy. What a waste of screen space that is. You know, then everything is shot with a very shallow focus. You know, which I thought, maybe it's the budget. You know, maybe it's because there were pedestrians in the background or whatever. You know, and, and that's a, a cheap way of eliminating background, right? You just use shallow focus. But actually, some of the shots were even out of focus. Like, mm. Or, you know, you'd have a forearm in focus. You think, why is the fucking forearm... Like, it's not conveying any narrative information. It's just... It's, it's just, style. It's pure well, style. Well... I didn't say it's stylish, but it's it's a style. I mean, I think it kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's a very... To some degree, it goes along with the aesthetic that the Saw films have had throughout. Although it amps it up a bit. I mean, I think, to some degree, it has the same problem that I had with the shallow focus in Joker. Just because you can shoot something in shallow focus doesn't automatically make something cinematic. It, it renders it completely inexpressive when it's all done that way. I mean, you know, you try to think of a reason why is it in shallow focus, right? Mm. And you can't come up with a rationale. I mean, it just basically means that you're only seeing foreground. Like, you know, for shot after shot after shot, it becomes stupid. Um, I really hated the look. I, I think it's a gross injustice to the stars. You know, I, I can't remember a black actor, you know, probably since Sidney Poitier, being as poorly filmed as Chris Rock is in this. Mm. You know, there, there are moments where, like, you know, his skin has no tone, you know, and yet somehow you're still managing to see all his pimples or <laughs> blemishes in his, in his face, right? It's like the worst of all possible worlds is the clarity of the digital and yet seemingly no care taken with black skin. I really hated it. So I kind of, I mean, there are some attempts. If you, if I, if we were to watch this on video, there are moments where if we'd stop the film. There are kind of interesting images. Yeah. Right. You know. So one with like a kind of a red, uh, folk, a red. Uh, how do you call it? Um, 
tint. Uh, yeah, a kind of a red tint on part of the image. It creates a really interesting design. You know, there's also like the shadows of the pig, mm. you know, that sometimes creates kind of an interesting image. But then it's not systematic. It's not consistent. It's it's almost like, oh, this is a cool image. Let's yeah, let's include this. Mm. But actually, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. And the rest of it looks ugly. Yeah, they are ugly looking films throughout. Really, um, that's part. And I, I, I wouldn't say that's part of the appeal. You know, I think that's part of the aesthetic through line that they all have. This is part of their look, but it's not a huge part of the appeal. Although part of it, I think, is the kind of feeling of. The feeling of being in an ugly world, I guess. You know, so there's a lot of kind of being in kind of disused factories and kind of repurposed, you know, industrial places. And, and there are elements to the aesthetic that ramp up the grottiness of that, which I think works. But when it's persistent throughout, you know, when it's like that in the police station as well, basically there's no there's no light and dark to it, right? Yeah. You know, the only difference really is, is the colour tint. You know, it's like in a, in a disused factory, it'll be green or blue, and in the police station, it's orange. Mm. I wondered if, you know, there was something I was missing, because Chris Rock is such an intelligent star, right? Like, you know, his monologues are, are usually so perceptive. And part of what I find funny, in, in, you know, is he's like rat-a-tat smart, funny, yeah, like mm. you know, 25 jokes a minute, and often kind of spontaneous. And he's also been very much a kind of activist recently, right? You know, particularly in issues uh, relating to race in America. And I wondered, you know, am I missing something here, right? Because both he and Samuel Jackson are policemen, you know, so, you know, they are also part of the problem. Yeah, is the film saying something about that? But actually, I couldn't really find, like... Because the film's about police corruption, you mean? Yeah. That, that problem. Yeah, um... And there's something kind of being said, you know, by the behavior of these two black men within it. But actually, I just could not find any mm. patternings, you know, to kind of create a message of any kind. Well, I think, because we probably will get into spoiler territory. So, you know, we should say spoilers will be coming up. And, and like with anything, it's a detective film. Spoilers can, you know, mm. things can be spoiled. Um Chris Rock ultimately is, is good throughout, right? I mean, one of the things I think the film does do fairly effectively, even though in the middle of the film you're going, I don't care, is it keeps you questioning who is the killer. You know, and so I was saying, maybe it's the chief of police, maybe it's Chris Rock, maybe it's Chris Rock with his dad. Mm. At one point thought it was uh, uh, Max Minghella, and we came up with ideas of like why, how the film tries to steer you away from that, steer you towards it. And every time I thought, oh, I've got, I know who it is now, I realised it's because the film had put things in place to make me suspicious in the right places because very soon afterwards I would start thinking it was someone else. Uh -huh. I think the film is quite effective at that. Um, well, and you, had, you, you were playing along a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and yeah. who it is surprised me. Yeah. You know, um, but I do think the film cheats a little on that as well. How so? Yeah. Well, because, you know, it shows you that person being dead and it doesn't give you any clues as to why that person might not be dead, right? It's almost like, you know, they offer... I disagree with you because, well, this is what I... I, I well, I kind of pointed out in the film, but it was quiet and we didn't, we didn't talk to each other in that much detail. But, you know, the thing was, when you see someone... When one of the cops dies, this person's going through the police killing cops um, who are corrupt, and when a cop dies, you see their death in the flashback and you see the whole game that the, the, the killer... It's not the jigsaw killer, but the copycat has set up. And when Max Minghella's um, body is found and it goes into the flashback, you don't see his face at all. You see the skin coming off. You see all that. And I thought, well, that's very deliberate. You mm. know, I picked up on that being, 
we haven't seen his face. We don't know absolutely that it's him. And we haven't seen the game that he plays either, right? Mm. We saw the other two games that were played and the thing about cut your tongue off or whatever. We don't see a game that Max Minghella's had to play. So the film, it's it's subtle about it. It doesn't point it up, but it is consistent. I think it, do, I think it, it doesn't offer you enough clues. I think it cheats. And actually, it, it does this little montage, you know, where actually it then gives you the clues that, you know, have been planted there. But really, they're very minor. Like, you really would need to be like you know, a detective to piece it together on the basis of the information that the film gives you. I think it cheats. Um, well, w- w- I would say once I clocked that it could be Max Minghella because of the tattoo, mm. because the things that tattoo came off his arm and you'd seen the tattoo and you said, oh, well, it can't be him. And I said, well, maybe he tattooed someone else. Mm. You know, once I figured it could still be him for that reason, I didn't let that idea go. So well, I think I think I figured out, and I think it, still it was cheats. There. I mean, you I know, don't think it does cheat well, in that. Let way. me tell you one of the ways it cheats because actually, you could never put a tattoo like that on another person and have it look like that in the amount of time that the film gives you. Yeah, I did think that. You know, I mean, the, you know, that would have been scabbed for three months. You know, so I thought it, it cheats. <laughs> I I will give you that one. I thought it would have been better had he actually skinned himself and left that as a clue. Right, and killed and killed the other person still, and left all their skin there, but included his bit of skin off his own arm. That would have been better, and and fucked up, like way more fucked up, <laughs> which would have been better because you know being fucked up really suits this this series of films. Uh-huh. So that I agree with you, but the rest I think is very consistent and actually works. I really um, hated it. <laughs> but, to, but to go back to the reason I brought it up is because so this idea that Chris Rock. Chris Rock and his dad, whether they're part of the problem. Chris Rock really isn't part of the problem, right? He is through he's and through. A good, he's a good guy. He's a good cop, ratting on bad cops, and all the bad cops in the police department fucking hate him for it and leave rats on his desk and all that and won't help him and all that kind of thing, which is one of the reasons that you have to suspect it might be him getting his own back on all these bad cops. Yes. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, he turns out not to be, whereas the dad, who was head of the police department back when he was a cop, was in charge of corruption essentially mm. led a corrupt police department and knew about it and all that so the the ultimate thing though i think is that it's not saying anything ultimately i mean if anything it, it might be even more egalitarian than that because rather than saying or you know, making a point about black cops i think it's saying white or black cops can be corrupt like and i don't think that's making a point i think it's that's it's it's that thoughtless yeah it, it is that thoughtless and it is that stupid and it is that insensitive you know, to audience expectations and pleasures. It's a very bad genre film in that sense. Mm. I mean, you know, you put Chris Rock uh, and Samuel Jackson together and then you don't let them be together for a little while. You don't let them play off each other. You know, it's like Samuel Jackson disappears. They're really kind of given, what, one, two scenes. They're given one scene and... And the finale. And the finale, yeah. like but One scene of dialogue, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with no... Ch- chance for them to interplay that's probably the best scene in the film as well which says something yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. i think it's another interesting thing about the film that so as i said back in that jigsaw podcast part of the appeal of these films one of the biggest parts of the appeal is what are the traps going to be and the gore and you know that's like if you're not into that then you're just not into these films but if you are into that that's a big part of the appeal and this film is light on that right this film really goes heavy on the detective story so it opens as all the saw films do with a trap and a scene of gore mm. Um, but then for a long time you're with Chris Rock right? I thought I thought actually up to a point this is kind of the danger of having a star a star in this film because because it takes the attention away from 
you know the, the the stunt stuff, which is what you're really there for. Mm. Actually, it makes it. It wants to be about character, and I didn't mind the, the the family story and the corruption story. I didn't mind all that, but I thought for a long time we're not getting a death here. You know, I thought I thought it was very badly conceptualized because really, Chris Rock is no longer young. I mean, I don't know how old he is, but he's got to be fifty-ish. Yeah, he's got to be fifty. So you know, for him to be playing Samuel Jackson's son and actually starting him off as a kind of rookie. I mean, really, it should have been like Chris Rock and, you know, some hot young actor playing his son, right? Like He's not a rookie at the start. He's been in the police department for a long time. No, it, the, it, the film starts with his first... You're giving them information about, you know, his first case, actually. That's a clue you, to the you whole You see thing. flashbacks where he was... Well, yeah, exactly. Is that what you mean? So you're seeing flashbacks where he's meant to be, what, 20? Or yeah. 22? <laughs> right? So no, I, I mean, it wasn't the he's age... too old. It wasn't the age that, that annoyed me about those, because I, I, I found him believable as, as, as young as he was meant to look. What annoyed me was the way he was dressed and coded as young, because he was also coded as kind of urban black in a, basically a fairly racist way, you know, the cap backwards. Well, actually, I think racist might be too far. It probably is, but it's stupid. No. Yes. Right? He uses all of these tropes and stereotypes about what young black men wear and applies them to him in the stupidest way. Well, he, like was, he was an executive producer, so he chose those clothes. You see what I mean? It's like a granddad choosing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but certainly as the older cop, you know, his present self, um, I thought he looked fine. And the thing is the thing is that Samuel L. Jackson is an appropriate age to be his dad, but doesn't look it. He looks so young for his age, Samuel L. Jackson still. Yeah, I mean... I mean <laughs> that's look- one of those things, like, you just can't help that Samuel L. Jackson looks fucking amazing for, what is he, must be 70-ish? 70? Yeah, 70-ish for sure. Uh, you know, check both of their ages, actually, because Samuel Jackson's seventy-two, and Chris Rock is fifty-six. See, I mean, he's, he's too not... old for this part. I mean, he, he really be. is. You know, fifty. Mind you, I don't think he looks fifty-six either. Well, he doesn't look twenty. No, he doesn't look twenty. <laughs> he's not, but he's not supposed to be twenty. He's only supposed to be twenty in a few flashbacks. I mean, uh, it's the whole thing is completely off. <laughs> it was. It was boring. It was ugly. It was unimaginative, mm. you know, and and even the charisma of these two great stars was blunted and damaged. Well, just not shown enough of. I mean, you, certainly Samuel Jackson, when he was in his scene, shone. I really liked him. Yes, well, you know, um, he's one of those people who almost always shines, so, yeah. you know, but um, he doesn't shine enough. And, and I think they're not well served as actors. And they're very poorly served as stars. Mm. You know, because, I mean, you do expect more of their coming together, of their being shown in the same scene, in the same frame than the film offers you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh. the, the two things that the film really needs to offer, which is the stars being stars mm. and being together, and the traps being gory and ever-present and fun and you know, it, it doesn't do enough <laughs> of either it, it actually kind of mispri- misprioritizes the the story it wants a story to be the main thing and it wants it to be about this this detective and the kind of struggles he has to go through and all that kind of stuff and while there are as i say parts of that that are effective it's over prioritized right you know, i want more of i just want more of the thrill i was thinking the film industry is at a very vulnerable moment now Right, like, you know, they don't know if people are going to go back to cinemas. I mean, we've been watching things digitally for a year and a half. In fact, most of the films that are now, you know, showing in the theaters, we have already seen Mm. digitally. You know, and you think, 
what a poor way of reintroducing cinema openings, right? Like, why didn't they come up with, like, some smash that everybody's waiting to see, right, instead of, like, Saw 17 or whatever it is? Saw 9. <laughs> well, well Saw so, so 8 and a bit if it's, if it's a spin-off series. Yeah, I mean... Just... Well, I mean, why didn't, I, th- I thought, why not, as they did in the summer bring back films that would get the crowds in. You know, exactly. The thing in the summer was bring back all the Christopher Nolan films to get them excited for, for Tenet. Yes, which it, failed. It got me excited. Well, it, <laughs> it, it failed. I mean, it didn't. Uh, the film didn't do much at the box office, so it no, got you no. excited, but as a strategy... But who knows how failed. much it might have done had they not brought out the Christopher Nolan films, you know, and had the whole season for it. I mean, but that's also partly because like, it, was, there was, it wasn't a big, big opening of all the cinemas. It, it was still shaky as hell what was happening in the summer. Yeah, well... Uh, um, um, but what I mean is, why not do something similar now? Like, the, the cinemas are open again, big opening, let's get back The Matrix, let's get back E.T., whatever the fuck, you know? But they haven't done that. They, well, they brought out the Oscar films, well, they are bringing out the Oscar films. Well, maybe that's Godzilla's the in the cinema. Good films. Um, yeah, the Oscar nominees, which are all very, like... Well, the, the thing about the Oscar films, I think, is that, is that I... They're none too cinematic, actually. Like they all kind of worked on TV as well as you imagine they would have in the cinema. Like where's the Godzilla, which is out Mm. at the minute? Like that, you know, is really going to work on a big screen. Yes, but nobody's dragging me to see that again. No. (laughs) But if we hadn't, if we hadn't caught that already, we would be going to see it. Sure. Um, It was nice to be in the cinema and to see things on a big screen. Mm. Uh, And actually, what I really like about it because. I think after like 18 months of lockdown or whatever it's been, I feel I'm living like in a distracted, fractured mode. It feels like my head is in 25 places, probably being on digital media, you know, social media too much. Mm -hmm. And actually one of the nice things about being at the movies was that you're fully, yeah, you can only see one thing. I mean, your head might wander, yeah, particularly, you know, in a poor film as this one. But then it always returns to the one thing, yeah. Like, and actually, it was really nice, almost restful, mm. yeah, to kind of be immersed in that way. Yeah, I know what you mean. That was actually something that was pleasant about it. And we saw the film on the big IMAX at, uh, at IMAX Digital at Cineworld, which was one of the reasons I chose it because that was you know I wanted to see it on the big screen no. as opposed to the big screen, you know, the big big screen. <laughs> um, and that was nice, you know, like you felt you know, when the IMAX sort of ident came up and it was it was watch a movie or be part of one. I was like, oh, we're back at the cinema. Yes, and I was so happy not to see those stupid advertisements. And, you know, like we went directly, like you paid your money, you watched the film, which was actually so nice. That won't last. That won't last because they're greedy and then they wonder why people don't want to pay like, uh, you know, 12 pounds or or more, uh, depending on where you see it and then watch, you know, be made to wait half an hour or, you know, or sometimes 40 minutes before the film starts mm. and you're a prisoner there of their stupid advertisements and, you know... I wouldn't have minded trailers. You know, I do like trailers. I love trailers. But, uh, but the adverts... But anything other than trailers, it's like you feel, I paid a month, over a month subscription to Netflix to watch this one film, you know, and like kind of, if Netflix doesn't show me advertisements, why must I watch them here? It really annoys me. Yeah. And it's well, probably only a matter of time before Netflix starts showing ads. Well, then you, you go to another service. Um, or I would. I really hate that here, actually. I kind of, I never encountered it until I did here. Because aside from everything else, it fucks up your evening. Right? Like, kind of, you know, normally, like I remember as a teenager, you would plan your evening, right? Like, you would meet friends before for 
for drinks or you know then you would know when the movie was and you went with different friends and then mm -hmm. you would meet people for dinner afterwards and you could plan it all right because you knew mm -hmm. when the film started and you knew when it ended with this you know being trapped at the mercy of Cineworld for them to decide when the film starts you actually never know when it ends right and it could be like 40 minutes either way right and I hate that I was getting to the habit if the film starts at five I leave the house at five right and 90% of the time, you're right, and you still have to wait. Mm. But actually, there are times like today, where the cinema, you know, with no warning, decides that there are no advertisements that day. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah but, that, but that was at 20 past five, and the listing was at five. Yeah. So there, there was a 20, 25 minute still buffer of, yeah. of, of nothing. Of, I mean, But wouldn't you rather sit in the dark for 25 minutes than sit in adverts? I would, actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I really, anyway, it's one of my pet peeves here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but we've deviated. It was very nice to be back at the cinema. It was actually nice to be uh, at Cineworld. Mm. Um, I, I was worried that they might go bankrupt. I mean, I, you know, there was some intimation that mm. they might not reopen. So I was very pleased to see that they have. And let's hope that it continues for a while. Yeah, and let's hope the independence come back strong as well yes yeah, so and now you know in the Midlands Art Centre is reopening soon I think we might have lost the electric uh, in Birmingham for good really um, yeah I hadn't heard about that is that like some announcement that... well no but there, uh, there was some incident where they fired all the staff I could be getting the story wrong but I think they fired all the staff rather than put them on furlough there was a huge brouhaha about that uh, and then there, I think there was talk of the cinema shutting down permanently or it being for sale or something. Got a story from July last year which says staff shock as Birmingham's historic electric cinema shows no sign of reopening. But that's a year ago, so I don't know what might have... And are there any listings for them at the moment? I mean, electricflix.com forward slash cinema. The future of the electric cinema Birmingham faces an even bigger issue than that of COVID due to the impending end of its 88-year lease. Ah. As the freeholder has yet to make a decision about its plans for Station Street, we are not currently in a position to reopen the cinema. This uncertainty has also meant we have been unable to apply for the Cultural Recovery Fund or other financial support to assist us financially through the period of closure. That's, that's not dated. I don't know when that statement was made, put up, but that's on this website, electricflix.com. Right, so... Which uh, I think must be their website. Yeah, so it doesn't bode very well, let's say. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you go to the electric.co.uk, which is their website, and it forwards you to this page. Mm. Anyway, um, so shit film, <laughs> but not shit experience. I was very happy to be back at the cinema, even though the film, in my mind, was awful. Yeah, I, I saw films go. You know, there are things that it does as well as the rest. You know, it maintains that look that they have that is not necessary to everyone's delight. <laughs> um, there are it things maintains it, that shit look. Yeah. <laughs> it does some things much worse. You know, I wanted more thrills. Like part of the, that, that big part of the appeal was lacking. Yeah, it ramps up as the film continues. There are more death and stuff, but still the focus really isn't on them. It's on the investigation, and that's a little bit disappointing. Mm. Where some films had been all about the deaths and the flashbacks and the intricacies of the backstory and all mm. that kind of stuff. All that lore that if you're into it, you're into it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. this um, this lacked that really. Yes. But with that said, I'm still kind of a sucker for the Saw films in all the ways that they're good and bad. Like I like enjoying the bad bits as people enjoy bad films. And so I'd be keen to see what it does with, with the next ones. If it can be a film... The thing, the thing that I always liked about the Alien films, right, was that, like, 
you could have these big directors taking them on and making them their own. Mm. You know, so started off with Ridley Scott and then James Cameron came in and made it his own and then uh, David Fincher came in, who wasn't big at the time, but, you know, became big, made it his own. And I like the idea that you that horror is kind of available for that, but it doesn't really seem to happen all that much. And I always thought that Saw had potential for that. And so the idea that you could have someone like Chris Rock come in and, although he doesn't direct it himself, he has put his stamp on what... He'd made a version of Saw he would want to make. That's kind of interesting. I would like to see more of that. I doubt I will. But that's, that's something that I think would be exciting. Well, it was a poor decision on his part because he doesn't come off very well from it. Yeah. So, um... One more thing about Chris Rock. But the thing about Chris Rock is he's not a film star. and never really has been. Oh, he's I think had, he was. He's had leading roles. I think he was a film star. Do you reckon? Yes, I do. Um... I mean, I mean, he he had lots of leading roles, and he was a kind of he was a name you could put on the front of a film. But he was had, he ever a star? Yes, he had hits, and he had films built around him for a while. Because I've always thought of him as a comedian who acts. It's not the same thing. No, that's that's not the same thing. But I always thought of him as a star. So let me just. Um, oh, I hate IMDb. It's so difficult. So he was the star in Bad Company, which was that film with uh, Anthony Hopkins, which I quite liked. That was two thousand and two. And he was in something not long after that. Okay, filmography. Oh, he was the, the main voice in Osmosis Jones. That was reasonably big. Down to Earth. That was just before that. I think he wrote that as well. Um, and I like Down to Earth as well. So he definitely had a period where... He had a period where, you know, I think in the 90s, he had a key role in Lethal Weapon 4. You know, then he did... Um, yeah... I see here films I don't know, actually, like Disappearing Acts Down to Earth. I'm trying Bad Company. Um, Are you starting to agree with me? I'm beginning to agree with you. <laughs> like, he definitely had a period where he was fronting films, but he he never was a film star, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. But he is definitely a star He's as, definitely, a, as a comedian. Yeah, yeah, he is. But you're right. Um, well... This is not going to make him one. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye.